Brother, amen. Since we're in a study and continuing our study on the theology of Christ's intercessory work, let's go to our eternal King and seek His help in this time. Father, we give you praise and honor and glory for you are the Most High God and we thank you for the redemptive work that Christ alone has accomplished on our behalf that we can now come together united in your spirit, united by the truth of the gospel to gather to worship you and to receive from you. And I pray, Father, at this time of this study as we look to Christ, our perfect example, and in his intercession, Father, may we be so equipped, may we be so stirred, may we be so compelled by your love to intercede on behalf of of our own souls, Father, and the souls of all those around us and those in the world, yes, our very enemies. Father, bless this time with your Spirit's power and unction and illumination to our souls that we may truly be transformed into the glorious image of, our begot- of the begotten Son of God, our King and our eternal mediator, Christ Jesus himself. Amen. So I want to continue our introduction, and I'm going to do it in a a way of reviewing last week, but in that review, interjecting some new information, new scriptures, new insights into the intercessory work of Christ. So last week, our verse was Hebrews 5.7. This week, it is Hebrews 7.25, just to get our mindset focused upon Christ and his work, it says, Therefore he, Christ, is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What a glorious promise, what a glorious hope and strength and comfort we have knowing that Christ still intercedes on our behalf right now interceding on behalf of each and every one of you, and not just us in this room, in this building, but consider the multitudes of intercessory prayer that are going on at this very moment. I'm kind of jumping ahead, but it's just too glorious that Christ in the nature of his intercessory work is not constrained and limited by the number of prayers. Now seated at the right hand of God, he can not only receive, but makes those intercessions on our behalf on a continual manner. Never wavering, never faltering, never growing tired, but in the fullness, the constancy of his authority on our behalf before the Father, making our requests known. So we looked at last week, quite an introduction, huh? But... (laughs) Last week we looked at the Christ at Christology, and that is yes, his work, his life, and in this this aspect his intercessory work on our behalf. And in that study in the Christology, what we looked at, we looked at his hypostatic union, which is yes, he is the God man. Two natures, one person. Fullness of his deity, we see that Colossians 2.9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That hypostatic union in his person, these two natures united, fully cooperative, yet distinct in their work, 
acting in a single person. And two other aspects, I want to look at that just real briefly. The perfect sinless man in his humanity is what Christ was. Amen? And due this, we see this was due to the Spirit's conception in the womb of the virgin. Right? That yet he was free from sin in his hereditary depravity as a man. He knew no sin. There was no sin in him. There were no hooks for the enemy to grab hold of and to lure him away into sin. There was no sin found in him. But he had to be a man. He had to be fully human in order for sin to be judicially dealt with on our behalf. Right? As a sacrifice as a man, it was necessary for Christ to come in human form, not lacking any of the essential qualities in his nature as a man. He was not partial spirit, partial human. His, his divinity did not overshadow his humanity. His humanity did not overcome his divinity. But in the fullness of man, because it was man who sinned, we needed that. It was necessary that in a man that penalty be born. Also necessary that he be very God of very God. The sacrifice of infinite value to render perfect obedience to God. He alone could bear the wrath of God redemptively because of his divinity and free others because of this sacrifice from the curse of the law. All those decrees against us that the law demand, we saw in Colossians, what? Where were they taken? Nailed to the cross in him. Amen? So he alone in his divinity was able to apply the fruits of his accomplished work only to those who believe in him by faith. This is not God so loved everybody in the world that he gave them eternal life. He demonstrated his love in such a way that those who come to Christ in faith are then recipients of this accomplished work. Okay. We also saw that prayer was... And I added another adjective in here. It was a delightful necessity for Christ. It was not a burden. It was not, okay, i got to get up again and go pray for these guys. No, he was gone. It was early before light even came on the horizon. He was out interceding. And we're going to get to those next week, Lord willing. But we know from Luke 2.40 that he grew in this. As he grew in his humanity, He was a baby in the flesh. He was an adolescent. He was a teenager. He was an adult. And in that humanity, he also grew, as it says, and became strong, increasing. He became fuller and fuller in wisdom because for the grace of God was upon him. So in his humanity, he not only developed physically, but he also developed in his wisdom and in the grace of God and in his growth. But what does this mean for our study in, in, in theology, the study of Christ's intercession? It, it's this voluntary relation between these two natures of Christ that in one person, as I said last week, it protects, in a sense, the integrity of Christ's human nature so that his prayers are really those of a man who needs to pray and delights to pray for the sake of his own soul as he matured, right, in his humanity, in his wisdom, in his faith, 
in his growing in the knowledge of God, but also for his decreed work, his inheritance. Remember Psalm 2, 7, and 8. The Father says, ask of me, speaking to the Son, ask of me, and I will give you what? The inheritance of the nations. That was the first record of of the intercessory prayer between the Father and the Son. But it is also for us to see the beautiful and very necessary fulfillment of his coming. Christ's coming was for a definite purpose. I know we can also all say yes and amen to that. But for that greater redemptive work that was bathed in prayer by our Lord. If his redemptive work, him being the God-man, was so vital and necessary to be bathed in prayer, where should we be? Where should we be? Amen. Just giving you food for thought. <laughs> yes, amen. Absolutely. And, and he fulfilled that perfectly, right? Yes. Yeah, we're going to get to that, so thank you. We're, on, we're tracking. So we look at the cons- considering the, the progression and our examination of his intercessory work in light of his redemptive, his mediatorial role, then the theological basis that we have to consider when we look at this intercessory work of Christ is the full historic and what I talked about in my crude graph last week, that projection of redemption. There was that eternal goal, that kingdom to come, that Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the cross for that reason. He knew the redemptive outcome of all the inheritance of his saints. So in this, we see that full history and the projection of redemption. And where we also see Jesus inaugurating, beginning for us, this entering into a new way of prayer. And we're going to look at this in the coming weeks. Our Father. Mind-blowing. The Jews. What? Not Yahweh, Elohim, our Father. He, Jesus introduced this. He inaugurated this by himself for us to follow in his example. So we are to, in like manner, as we've been studying the imitation of Christ, we're in like manner to follow behind him, to follow him in this manner and this imitation. And, of course, with this, we saw, too, the Holy Spirit's presence, the power that was upon Christ from his conception throughout his life, that in his humanity, that both his body and soul, not getting lost in his divinity because Christ's humanity needed the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. Does anybody else need that here too? Amen. Amen. So even in the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form, he prayed. And with that redemptive purpose of inheritance in mind, his prayers were the prayers of the Son of God to the Father in the power of the Spirit. And this is what Jude tells us to do, right? Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Keeping yourselves in the love of God because it's in the love of God. We delight in keeping the Father's commandments. We delight in finding out and doing what his will is, what his desires are. And we find this all out by our intercessory work and our communion with the Father. Amen? Okay. I'm a little excited about this today. This is just 
been an incredible study. So thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> so the Lord's intercessory work on behalf of those for whom he prayed, we see is closely coupled. It's, it's integrated. It's complementary of his work of, of redemption as a high priest, as our eternal high priest, always making intercession on our behalf. And we saw this briefly last time in the typological form and the tabernacle and in the temple where the high priest would go in and take the finely ground, perfectly, um, the perfect recipe of all these various spices that God gave to Moses to be put on these coals for this incense to be a perpetual thing every morning and every night. And I didn't get into it last week, but there was a specially made altar for the incense, right? That that, that um, bowl that the incense was to be carried in was to be put on a very special altar just for that incense to burn morning and night, day by day, which typified what? What did that incense and that smoke typify? Prayer. Yes, Absolutely continuous and then the, the the annual the day of atonement where it, that even s- that special mixture and measure of those incenses were to be put in that bowl again with fresh coals off of the the sacrificial altar put into the bowl the incense taken into the holy of holies where that high priest if he did not follow these instructions gone dead but those prayer that incense typified again the prayers of the high priest for the people. And it was to fill the whole fullness of the Holy of Holies, which typifies the ongoing constant intercessory work of Jesus Christ. And like Brother said, we need to be praying without ceasing too. These, these are types and shadows for us to look at. So now we come to the nature of Christ's intercessory work. And we looked at briefly... Um, both the Old Testament here and looking at the tabernacle and the the, uh, the temple. But as I pointed out last week, I didn't go into it enough, I don't think. Um, one brother picked up on it. I should have expounded on it a little bit. Considering the typology of the Old Testament high priest, who are we now in Christ, according to 1 Peter 2.9? Yes, we are a, now a kingdom. We've been transferred, translated into the kingdom of Christ. Now being a priest, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this too, in light of Psalm 2, 7, and 8, we are now priests who are to bring our intercessory requests, our intercessory thanksgivings, our pleas before God. As we're going to look at the Psalms, this covers a variety of of circumstances, of needs in our lives, does it not? I mean, Psalm 88, you talk about praying from the depths of the precipice of death. You notice that Psalm doesn't end with a, a resolution. There isn't a reprieve. But that is a heart cry of David that from the depths of here, I will look to God. And we're going to look at that in a minute, talking about this, this projection, this direction in our sanctification. 
But the fundamental reality is that the intercession of Christ consists exclusively in his eternal role as high priest, praying that he alone can offer for his people alone and intricately coupled with this throughout all the scriptural accounts, his redemptive atoning work that's alone accomplished. And he continues this not only for the salvation of his elect, but for the sanctification of his elect. That is the purpose of his ongoing prayers for us, is that we will be further and further transformed into his image. So the first one is his intercessory work is an enduring intercession. It is never-ending. As I mentioned earlier, think quickly around us how much change is going on in this world, how much diversity is happening. Even ourselves, we're subject to change. We, are, we should be becoming. We're not just being. We are becoming in Christ, right? But Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his prayers in that, that he not only perfectly completed his fully objective work for us, but as I said earlier, in this very moment, he's fully engaged in securing that application for us, for this work in us to be completed. He started it. He called us to it. He's going to finish it. And this is the aspect of his intercession and his role as high priest and our mediator. Any questions so far? I'm kind of getting through this kind of quick. But yes, brother. Perpetual advocate. Always, yes. Our advocate, our, our, our per individual, personal advocate, but also of the church as well, that we can go to the Father of light through him. Yes, brother. Automatic in what sense? Because of Jude, and I think Paul brings up something similar to being praying in that manner. Is there an instance in which a Christian could not be praying in the Spirit or in accordance with that? Not, not for a true believer, yeah. We, we, we should strive to pray. I mean, there are times when we pray out of our flesh. We're still susceptible to sin. We're not perfect by any means. We haven't achieved whatever perfect sanctification level there is, but we should always strive to pray in the Spirit, by the Spirit, to ask for his help. I, I was talking to one brother, you know, just how, how do I begin in this? How do I even, you know, improve my prayer life? That's the first request. Spirit, help me. Help me to pray. Help me to learn how to pray. You know, so it's, it's always, I hate to use the word invoking it, it's supplicating for the Spirit's help that we should know how to pray. And just like it talks about in Romans, we're, we're not always going to know what to pray. And that's where the, our, our comforter, our paraclete, comes alongside and enables us just to make those utterances. He, he knows what, what's on our heart, what's on our mind. But it is in that, that desire of seeking the Spirit's help to, to pray you know, with discernment, with, with with wisdom, maybe not be with eloquence or perfection of getting every detail right in your prayer, but to to see what to pray for. You know, 
there, there are times we may just see something on a superficial level, a basic need. And, and in prayer, in times of intercession, the Lord reveals where it's, no, it's more of a serious fundamental soul issue that they're dealing with, or it may be a sin issue. And that only comes about by being, praying in the Spirit, asking for His Spirit's help and guidance. Were, were you here last week in the sermon? Sunday? Yeah. Okay. I mentioned about my mom knowing those things. Her, uh, she was she was praying in the spirit to know where I was, what I was doing in those instances, to how to pray specifically for that. Is that also like saying uh, pray according to the will of God? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Brother, you had a question. And, and hang with us, be here in the coming weeks, because that's what I exactly want to get into. Is how do how do we approach this? You know, how do we go about not not with the expectation and the mindset that we're going to be masters of prayer, we're going to be intercessory kings, just like Christ. We're going to grow in this. We're going to see this here in His beginnings. He had, he had to learn how to pray. He was still human. And and he learned to pray from his youth up. He matured in his prayers. You know, we see it briefly in these psalms, and we'll go look at that. So we have to go with that humble mindset as well, just like the disciples. Lord, teach teach me how to pray. Teach me how to be here and intercede until I get an answer. I know you've heard me. That's that's communion. I mean, how how do you talk and relate with your wife? I mean, is it just that's it. <laughs> you know? yeah, what, what's going on, dear? What's happening? How are you feeling? I mean, you, 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 that's, that's the, the idea of supplicating, of, of communion, and of intercession with one another. But we're coming humbly before the throne of grace to say, Lord, you, you know best, and I want what you have is best for me, no matter what it is. That's what we're going to hear in a little bit in Romans. So, amen. Yes, brother. Right. Right. There, there's, there's one Puritan brother. I can't think of his name right now. I've, I read it recently, where he he would go into prayer and and read scripture to get his heart and mind into prayer. He said sometimes it would be ten, twelve chapters, two or three hours before that intercessory engagement took place. That's that's not a hard and fast rule that you got to read twelve chapters and be praying at least two hours. It's a heart matter, brother. It's a humble brokenness before the Lord, a contrite spirit. God does not despise, and He says in he- Hebrews, "I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek Me." Right. So it's, it's just a transparency before the Father, man, and that's what Christ perfectly exemplified for us. So, any questions on that, on the enduring intercession? We know that's a reality. We read that in Hebrews a little bit ago, 7.25. Always, living always to make intercession on our behalf. Think of what a, man, that's, that's, that's a motivation, brothers and sisters. 
to know that he's praying, why can't I quit hitting the snooze button, get up and go in and intercede with the Father too? Make my request known. Make, make the needs of this body known. You know, if we really identified, made lists of all the needs that we knew just in this body, maybe within our own families, with our own lives, how long would we be in prayer? You know, and that's, that's a, a, a joyous, delightful privilege we have. And it's a lot of work. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make light that it's up. Man, what y'all's problem? You know, no. Brother, I struggle every morning praying. I, I, I confess, it's, it's a battle. Because work, the flesh, the enemy, I hear sound, the distractions. You know, an image comes to mind. And it's persevering through that. It, it's, a, it's a diligence, Father, I want you or nothing else. That's where we've got to be. All right. Authoritative intercession. Christ does not pray as a creature to a greater creator or power, right? He is now in glory, right? Risen, resurrected at the right hand of the Father. He makes request as a son to the Father and with equal dignity now. And it is an asking upon and equal terms and you can write these scriptures down if you want to go back and look at it. We're going to look at one just briefly, but John fourteen sixteen, John sixteen twenty six, and John seventeen nine. Christ is not only authoritative; he is an authorized intercessor, and he alone can present our legal claims before the Father on our behalf. That's why John. Seventeen twenty four, Christ says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. There is that dignity and equality. We see that ontological glory there. But still in the role in his humanity and his glorified humanity, he still functions on our behalf as that high priest is that mediator making intercessory work to the Father who is now back in in that ontological unity that we see. Amen? Any questions? Am I going too fast? Yes, bro. Won't be needed. He'll not only be our light, but he'll be our communion, our direct communion. I I, I can't give you the details beyond that, brother. <laughs> but we're all longing for that, amen? Yes, Chris. Absolutely. Absolutely. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Exactly. Amen. Fully knowing he was going to deny him three times, but he knew, again, through his intercessory, preemptive, eternal, this, this could be one of his revelations of knowing 
in his divinity, knowing, knowing what was going to happen to Peter, I prayed for you so that even in your denial of me, I'll return. And when you return, encourage your brothers. So now in greater glory with the Spirit dispatched, in greater measure, you could say, there is an awareness of those needs of what we're going to be facing. No trial is beyond God's knowing, you know, especially now. It never was apart from that, but especially now in light of the Spirit's presence and work among us, that, that Christ's omniscience is now dispatched. Amen. So authoritative, we've enduring authoritative now, his perfect potency, and this gets into that too, how, how powerful his prayers are for us. They never fail. They never go unanswered. They are always heard. They are always in harmony and unity with God, with the Spirit, right? And based upon this ever-revealing, atoning work for those yet to be saved, and the power and the sanctifying work for those who are. That's the potency of his perfect potency of his prayers. Because he alone has merited all that he asked for on our behalf. Right? He has fully inherited the the the, the honor, the love, the glory of the Father has been manifested now. We don't see it yet, we see it by the eyes of faith. Absolutely. But we can fully rest, fully rest each day on his effectiveness and the potency of his prayer on our behalf. Prayers, I should say. Yes, sister. Right. Yes, and this gets back to his fully, completely fulfilling all the righteous demands of the law in his life, his perfect obedience in this life, that he fully, fully succeeded, if you will, in his humanity and in the accomplishment of bearing our sin, enduring the wrath of the Father, raising himself to glory. Because of all that, that merit that he alone has earned that no one else can earn. That's why we can't approach the Father in our own righteousness, but his alone. That's why his prayers are heard and answered, always. Why wouldn't the Father ever answer, not answer his prayer? Why would he never not hear his prayer? With that, that triune love that is within, now fully restored to the glory he had before his incarnation, now in the fullness of his incarnate work accomplished, now you could say, like Murray, accomplished now applied in our behalf. Yes, brother. So I guess you could say that Christ, the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that his intercessory work is always in union with the Father. Amen. 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 And that's why we need to pray, as we will see in an hour or so, to know the will of God. Because like you said, we we don't know it in all instances. We know sanctification is the will of God. To abstain from sexual immorality is the will of God. We have it in Scripture delineated, identified, commanded to us. But in those instances of 
do I take this job? Do I marry this person? You know, those things we need to know, but trust and that you've got this out. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm living, it's like, I love the way MacArthur talks about this. If you're, you're obeying the Father, you're, you're in prayer, you're walking by the Spirit, you're in the Word of God, you're in good church, go be an astronaut. You know, go be a surgeon. You can trust God's going to guide your steps. You know, always. That's why he's such a loving, caring Father. Amen. Okay, questions, Ray? Number three intercessory beginnings of Christ. This we can glean from Scripture. We don't have a, a, a day-by-day account of you know what Christ did when he was 13, how many chairs he learned to make under his father's supervision as a carpenter. I'm sure he was a pretty stout young man. I mean, heft of wood and cut, cut logs and drill things by hand back then. He didn't have DeWalt power tools, but that aside. He had to learn how to pray. Even in his humanity, he had to learn how to pray. But consider this, and this kind of nullifies the pedo-baptism thinking and belief. Jesus Christ was and is the only true covenant child of faith from birth. Do you know of any others from birth who is a true covenant child of God? No. No. He had faith from the beginning, yes, but he also grew in his faith in his father and trust as he grew in wisdom and stature. He was fully human. Can't forget that. That reality is there. Turn to Psalm 22. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10. This is what gives us some insight. Jesus. Right, right. That that was a work outside of themselves, though. Christ was born into this. They weren't conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? That's that's the delineating factor right there. Okay. <laughs> Filled subsequently, yes but not conceived by the Spirit. That's, that's why I believe you can say that. You can make that statement. Were the, were the, was John and Jeremiah and all those called from the womb? Yes. But not conceived in the Spirit. Big difference. <laughs> Uh-oh, here we go. I knew I'd stir it up. Born again by the Spirit. Yeah. Presence of the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Only the Lord knows his heart. And essentially you're saying Jesus was conceived in the covenant. Right. Whereas John the Baptist or Jeremiah was born, it was after conception. Right. Called and identified. Yeah. That's why I said from birth. From conception, probably been better term there. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you, dear. <laughs> I I expected that. I expected that. 
All right. Ladies ganging up on me. Psalm Psalm twenty two, nine to ten. We got we got I'm not gonna rush, but we got some heavy application at the end here. Psalm twenty two, nine and ten. It says David, of course, by the work of the Spirit, writing these, testifying of his own self at this time, but also speaking of Christ. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. Hear Christ talking about the Father. You are the one who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. Difference. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Speaking of Christ and his inner beginnings, his inner initial intercessory work. Also, Psalm 71, verses 5 and 6. I'll read this if you want to just write that down. Christ speaking of the Father, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my confidence from my youth. By you I have been sustained from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. And both these passages speak of his incarnate and purely religious beginnings. And, and of course, as I said, these verses were uh, the immediate story of David, but their ultimate fulfillment in Christ type, archetype here, speaking in these scriptures. But even being formed by the Spirit in the womb, the Lord's early prayer life was not clearly as developed as it would be at the end of his ministry and the end of his life. And just as we read earlier, I talked about early in Luke 2.40, the child continued to grow. He continued to mature, becoming full in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. But Christ's prayers in his humanity developed in light of his own experiences, the challenges he faced, the trials he faced, and so will our prayers develop in life as we walk and as we grow in him and as we face different trials and challenges and opportunities, blessings, our prayer life is going to mature. Do you have a question? Okay. That was like another one of you talking to me. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. But all of Christ's acts of reason, his, his heart desires, his soul and his mind were all married together in each appropriate stage of his life as he developed. Can you imagine mothers and fathers having a perfect toddler who never sinned? <laughs> Can you imagine that? I mean, that's who Christ was. And all through his life, uh, with, with the holy principles that were formed in his heart by the work of the Spirit upon him, and then through prayer and his faith, bring, bring forth these particular miracles and these acts of faith appropriate in, in each time and accord in, in harmony with the Father's will, with the revelation of the Father that Christ was to bring in his life and his ministry and his obedience and his fulfillment of all aspects of the law. So the true Holy Father was never shy regarding the help given toward his Son. The fullness of the power of the Spirit was upon him. He upheld him. He was always his God um, in, in purest religious life, in, in the fullness of obedience from the womb, as I said, through his toddler years, adolescence, teenage. What a glory that would be. We love you guys. but <laughs> We know how tough teenage years are, you know, 
And even in, as teenagers, you have a living example in Christ who's not only who we should be transformed into his image, but who is our great help, our great intercessor to provide that grace that we need in very difficult teenage year, year life. I, I remember mine, man. It wasn't easy. But we, we, we read and see the, the eternal love lavished, demonstrated by the Father to the Son on whom he was well pleased. And this carried over, it flowed into a natural holiness, into his intercession with the Father, his communion with the Father. And it was the Lord Jesus who for us forged this, this impression. He set the standard for us. And what I'm going to call, I'm creating my own hyphenated word here, folks, directional sanctification. And I'll get into this in a minute. Because, as Brother Chris said, he prayed without ceasing. There was an ongoing, not only redemptive, but sanctifying purpose and an ultimate glorification purpose in his prayers. That's how ours need to be directed. Yes, yes, we pray for the immediate. We pray for discernment and wisdom in the daily circumstances and needs that we face, but with a mindset of eternal redemption, of ultimate kingdom glory that we are going to receive from Christ as his inheritance. Is that like praying for the exactly. Yeah. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, but not until your work's done. You know, don't... Don't selfishly rush it on my behalf, but for the sake of the elect, you know, do your work. Yes. Questions? Okay. We're, we're doing pretty good. Uh, okay. But fundamentally, very simply put, for Christ in all things, God the Father came first. The Father's will was or could be described as omnipotent in the heart's Son and life. Son's heart and life. Sorry, I got that backward. Described as omnipotent in the Son's heart and life. His power, His glory, His will, His desires were supreme in all that the Son desired, all that He pursued, all that He prayed for. We should be no different. We shouldn't be any different. So, Christ's prayers, His obedience were a delight to His Father. He listened well and received well from his devoted intercession. Um, I'm going to read this quickly. Isaiah 50, verses 4 to 5, it says, The Lord God has given me the tongues of disciples. This is the Father granting his Son those very seasoned and timely words of truth and of power to speak. And he goes on, he says, That I may know how to sustain the weary with one word Christ speaking one word to sustain us in our times of weariness and and despair he awakens me morning by morning he awakens my ear to listen as a disciple this is Christ talking about the father the Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient nor did I turn back may that be our heart's resolve amen do we crave this type of intimacy and this kind of communion with the Father? And just briefly here, we're, we're doing well. Christ's holy pattern. We see this in Psalm 17, um, verses 1 to 3. 
didn't write those scriptures up there. Just briefly in verses 1 to 3, verse 8, and verse 15. Anybody want to read verses 1 to 3 real quick? Psalm 17. Got it, brother? Read verse 8 and verse 15 for us too, brother. Please. There's really no reason for us to doubt in any way that the Lord shared in very spontaneous prayers, free natural patterns of prayer as he grew in wisdom and stature. And as we look at just this psalm, but many of the psalms we look at, we see that these prayers of David being the eternal words of the Lord were not only voiced and penned by David, but are also the words that Christ himself prayed to his own father. If you look at these very closely, uniquely, you can see the words of Christ, his intercessory work, his request to the Father is being made. And no one else can pray these words like our Savior. You know, These are his words. His mouth was purposed not to transgress. Never a sin, never a word, never a complaint, never a murmur, never an accusation. He was truly the apple of his father's eye. He alone beheld the face of his father and lived in his likeness when he returned to glory. And these words were words he also prepared for himself to use as his own prayers. He's the Logos word, right? He penned these prayers in eternity past to be written about himself in his own words that he would pray and speak to the Father in his life. And written for us regarding our very trials, our very experiences and joys and sufferings for us. He wrote them for our behalf too, that we can see these were not only his struggles in humanity, but his hope where he went to in finding the grace and the help from his Father in his times of needs. And our Lord came into the world with the graces and the power of the Holy Spirit to live out perfectly, to fulfill with great joy at his begetting at the Son of God as the God-man. And in this, he not only had the abilities to live in constant communion with his Father, but also, as I said, to grow in the wisdom and stature that we're also called to do. And just considering, you know, the Father didn't expect his son to be left alone to figure out how to pray, as we talked about. He grew in this. And the Father is not going to leave us alone trying to fend for ourselves to figure out how to pray to a holy God. That's why the Spirit has been sent and is given to us. 
And this is one of the many means of grace he's given us. But by way of application, I want to consider some things. We've seen from eternity, Christ has not only had us in mind, a great thing to consider. He's also set his love upon us from eternity past. He has been and is continuing to intercede for his elect, for his own. But there's found in Christ's life, in, in his work, his, his obedience, his fulfillment of all the atoning work, and his intercession, if you remember that progressive heavenward mindset, that, that eschatological purpose that he has in all that he has done and all that he is doing. And what do you think of when I say sanctification, what comes to mind? Holiness, Holiness yes. Holy. Anything else? Separation. Growth. Does anybody think of yardsticks, measurements? Anybody think of time? Do you think about the length of your sanctification? How long it's taken? Okay. But do we ever, ever thought about it in light of Christ's purpose? This is my hyphenated word. Directional. Heavenward. Christward. Christ is now seated in the heavenly places, right hand of the Father. Our sanctification is directional. We don't see in Scripture any, okay, Chris, you're here today. Joshua, you're, you're, you're not quite up there in your sanctification level no we don't see that we don't see that God is the author of that isn't he he began the work he continues the work in it he will fulfill it in Christ Jesus but our our sanctification is directional it is heavenward it is that new country that Hebrews 11 talks about so much that that is to be our mindset so I've covered that. I'm, you know, we shouldn't look about whether it's been three hours or three years or 30 years. Is our sanctification continuing in a direction toward heaven? Will we stumble? Yes. But does our falling re- redirect us? Or do we get up and continue in that direction toward Christ and toward the heavenlies? That's the measuring point. What happens when sin does come, when we disobey, when we say something? There will be that, those immediate needs of, of sanctifying, repentive confession, yes. But then it returns to that direction, that heavenly direction. And this ties also into the second aspect of this application is we have to have a life of metanoia, a life of repentance, a life, as we're going to hear about, of constant renewal and transformation directed toward the heavens, directed toward that new kingdom. Do you know what the first item in Luther's theses was that he nailed to the door the church in Wittenberg? Anybody know? What it, this, this is what it said. When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said repent, he began with repentance too. He called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. 
So in our directional sanctification, it, 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 and this, this mindset of, of ongoing repentance, as I said, not just in the occurrences, the daily failings, but our whole life mindset needs to be one of repentance. It, it, this dismisses, this gets rid of all the machinery of, of religiosity in our lives. Um, it, it, like I said, it does involve those decisive mo- moments of, of sinful realization, conviction, confessing, seeking the Lord's mercy, seeking his forgiveness, being cleansed in the blood. But we need to look at this a wider, more inclusive meeting. And this, this is what's going to shape as, as well shape and formulate our prayers. Keep my mind, Father, ever set upon your holy purpose and your, your kingdom outcome for your glory. Because this is what it's all headed to, is the ultimate glory revelation of Christ when he returns to vindicate his own, right? And we'll be with him. We'll share in that inheritance. Just one quick final quote that Luther had. had this is really good. This life is not righteous, but growth and righteousness. It is not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not what we shall be. We are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. So I hope these will help in our intercessory work and our prayers for one another, for ourselves, to have this kingdom mindset, this eternal mindset, this sanctifying life of repentance, life of metanoia in our minds, in our thinking, in our hearts. Because without holiness, what does it say? We won't see the Lord. And that's, like we said, that's what sanctification is all about. So we looked in Colossians, putting off those things. And as the light of the word illuminates and penetrates deeper, sharp two-edged sword, and those things are exposed, we take them to the Lord to be changed. We grow in holiness, no measuring stick. We grow in holiness toward that kingdom reality. And we put on Christ. We continue to put on Christ his graces, in prayer, letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you, praying in the Holy Spirit. All right? Any questions? Wow. Next week, Lord willing, we will begin in the prayers of Christ. I'm not going to tell you which one yet. (laughs) But we will begin in the prayers of Christ. Any final questions? Comments? (laughs) All right. Let's continue worship. Amen.